Remain in prayer and have a seat. Sit up straight. Feet on the floor. Close your eyes. Either lift your chin up or bow your head. And take your cues from me. As we pray, repeat after me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Amen. Have a, a everybody sitting here, right? Yeah, I didn't look up. Well, over the years, we're talking about parenting this morning. Over the years, I brought my box of uh, parenting resource books that Lori and I have uh, purchased and, you know, worked through. Here's one. Uh, Dan Allender, great guy, Ph.D., How Children Raise Their Parents. Kind of a thick one. Uh, here you go. Henry Cloud, John Townsend, Boundary with Kids. Uh, you know, the boundary expert years ago. Gary Thomas, Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Soul. Duh. Uh, raising Kids to Love Jesus. Here's a good one by the Mops people, uh, What Every Mom Needs. Yes, I did read it. Uh, real Parents, uh, Parenting the Adopted Child. Real Parents, Real Children. Both of our kids are adopted, so we have a whole new uh, different set of books on adopting. The Five Love Languages of Children. Yes, Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages. is a very popular book. Here's probably one of my favorite books. I lost the dust jacket somewhere. Breakthrough Parenting by John Maxwell. Probably an excellent book on breakthrough parenting. Future of the American Family, Statistics and So Forth, George Barna. Uh, let's see, you got a couple more. The Key to Your Child's Heart, Gary Smalley. Pretty much a standard operating manual on parenting. Gary Smalley's work on parenting. And then uh, Eight Seasons of Parenthood, uh, a couple of PhDs, and it was a secular book on seasons of life. I probably ought to share that with you guys sometime. Uh, here's my second copy of Gary Smalley's Key to Your Child's Heart. The little one, you know. Um, and yet, all these parenting resources, and I got to tell you, and I'm sure Lori would agree with me, that all this preparation and still parenting is a mystery to us. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's kind of a curious thing. We've all been raised by parents, and a lot of us are parents, and you'd think that the human race would have this whole parenting thing figured out by now, but, but every Buddy who has kids, it's like, well, you know, maybe if I did this about three times and lived to be about 373 years old, I might actually get this thing down, which would be an interesting experiment. Because we still don't know how to handle our children's anger. We don't know how to handle our anger in parenting. We don't know which child-rearing authority 
is the best. We don't know which parenting strategy works. And we're all kind of clueless. And so we stumble along, and then we say, well, at least they're not all in prison, you know? And we call that a win. So this morning, I want to teach really a different approach to parenting. I'm not, you know, going to say it's slam dunk, the answer, and this is all you need to know. That'd be an idiotic thing to say. And I'll even say that what I'm about to present is controversial, and you can disagree with it because actually I've taught it before around here, and people do disagree with it. Um, it's not very common, but I do believe it's about as straight ahead and as close to the biblical idea of parenting as you can come. And so though you may disagree with me for a variety of reasons, I hope that by the time I'm through it, you'll at least understand the position of Scripture and the foundation there. And I even pray for the next few moments um, that you would understand and rethink your entire parenting role, that who you are as a parent would actually uh, have some, you know, structure to it and have some resolve to it and that you'd understand what you're doing. And then again, I'd also like to hope and pray that you don't walk out here and flippantly think like, oh man, I got this down 30 minutes you know, ago, I was clueless, but now I'm gonna be a perfect parent, you know? No more anger and everything's gonna work fine. It's all sunshine and salads from here on out, you know? So, uh, but I would hope that you'd walk out of here with some questions about what is my parenting strategy and what is the goal of parenting? And that's really our first question. What is the goal of parenting? I'm not sure we ever really asked this question. What's the goal of parenting? Surveys would show that most parents believe the goal of parenting is to create responsible children. Create responsible children. Now, my cynicism kind of says, I think what that means is, is that someday they'd actually move out of the house. And, you know, that's what they mean by responsible and stop living with me. But nonetheless, it sounds good to say that the goal of parenting is to create responsible children. So that, you know, that someday, and I do mean someday, that they would actually see the socks in the middle of the living room. You know, that they'd have that amount of responsibility. Like, what? I don't see any socks. Um, or or um, take, for instance, then some of the goals that are out there. And take, for instance, then what one Christian author recounts the story of the child in the rainy day parade. Probably no more than three years old, dressed in a skimpy little costume, holding a baton, the little girl was miserable, crying as the cold wind blew into her face and the drizzle came down, and the little girl did not want to be in the parade. She'd break rank and run to her mother, who was walking along at the edge, only to be hustled back into place, into formation, with the rest of the parade, crying and sobbing the entire way with a desperate and confused look in her eyes. And this author says, I'll never forget the sense of desperation in this child's eyes and her bewilderment about why she was marching. But the mother knew it was never too early to prepare your child to fulfill all of your childhood dreams. No doubt, the mother had goals, and whether she was conscious of them or not, nobody knows, probably her, she doesn't know, but she imagined this little girl was supposed to be something. The goal of parenting then was to have her thrive and survive and achieve and, you know, do all that, not really understanding what it means to thrive, just some vague answer. 
Another example, then, of uh, parents sending a different message than perhaps what they think and discerning what the goal of parenting is, is this little story and this little scenario that says, which kids will get you in more trouble? Which one will get you more trouble? Answer this. Accidentally breaking a valuable vase or disobeying your parents when they ask you to clean your room. Breaking the vase or disobeying your parents when you're asked to clean your room. Which one will get you in more trouble? And the child answers, breaking the high-dollar vase. Goal of parenting is things. Material possessions don't sit on the sofa, don't touch the carpet, don't even look at the HD television. Things are more important than stuff. I mean, than you, than love. Stuff is more important. The child is taught to value things more than obedience to the parent. And when the parent yells and screams from the stands at the Little League game, what's the goal of parenting there? Win at all costs. Trash the coach, trash the umps, trash the refs, trash the other team. They're all losers. You're going to be a winner. And you're going to win. And I'm going to win vicariously through you. What's the goal of parenting there? Be number one. Don't be a loser. He who dies with the most toys wins. And other sort of existential slogans out there. So what is God's goal for parenting? Well, here's what the Bible tells us about those who wish to follow God. It comes right out of Deuteronomy. Before the children of Israel who have been wandering in the desert for 40 years are about to enter into the land. And saying, all right, we're going to remake who we are as a people. And here's what you need to pass on to your kids. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, that's Moses, to teach you to observe. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. So that you may enjoy life. You break it down pretty quick. And what it's saying is the goal of being a human being is to fear God. That is to praise, glorify, and honor God. Not to actually live in fear and trembling, though sometimes that happens. The goal of being a human being, the goal for a child, is to honor God. Why? So that you may live a long life, which is Old Testament, old ancient culture's language for saying like a long life is equated with living a good life. Many years means success. And you have to kind of put that into focus, you know, particularly when average lifespans are sometimes 33 years old or 50 years old was old age. The Shorter Catechism from the Westminster Confession 500 years ago gets this right. It says the, the goal, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of parenting is to train up a child to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I have to admit that most of these books sitting right here have not put forth that the goal of parenting is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They're mostly all focused on the child. Not really on God. And this is part of the controversial part of this sort of teaching. I have run across one book where the entire premise of the book was that it was all about glorifying God. And I'll show you the cover of the book because I don't have it with me because Lori and I have both given out so many copies of this book that we can't find any of them in the house. So here's the latest greatest cover. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Dr. Ted Tripp, who's actually the principal of a school. And uh, shepherding a child's heart. 
says the primary role of the parent is to glorify God. And the book is exhausting with tons of scripture. So if that's something that kind of gets you going, then you'll get your, you know, your head full of that. The difference between what most parenting books and authorities are telling us and what the Bible is telling us is that it's all about honoring God. That's the goal of parenting. Your job as a parent, uh, if it's child-focused, will be to please your child, to raise up this healthy, wealthy, thriving child. It's all about the child, and the child becomes the focus of the parenting. But in a God-focused parenting, it's really the parent is the focus, and it's parent parenting. <laughs> Parent-focused parenting. Or really, just back again, it's God-focused parenting. The fifth of the Ten Commandments proclaims this, honor father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Of the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that has a benefit associated with it so that you may live long and prosper. So that you may live long in the land. Once again, that ancient idea of, of success is to have a long life, which means you will carry this on from generation to generation. And if there's anything psychology is telling us in family system psychotherapy, it's saying what you're doing today will be passed on and will be passed on. And when it all goes really bad, it only lasts about four generations, and then the whole family detonates. But that's another talk. This is the only commandment where it says you'll have a benefit if you honor father and mother. And if you honor your parents, you shall have a long life and a prosperous life for generations to come. It is clear the goal of your child is for them to honor God and to honor their parents. We start right there with the goal for parenting. But I find a vast amount of confusion on the parent's part on what the role is supposed to be as a parent. Moms and dads, your primary role is to act as God's agent to your child. Not to act as God, but God's agent. God's representative. You have been given a gift with children, and it is your job to return them in good working order, hopefully with some investment return. Your job is to act as God's agent. You are the hands and feet of God to your children, more so than anybody else. You have your child for thousands and thousands of hours each year. The church gets your kid for about 106 hours. A year. You are the hands and feet of God. And when your child dishonors you and sasses you and disrespects you, they are learning to disrespect God and dishonor God. A disrespectful child believes their own happiness is the goal and center of life. And it should come at your expense. And some parenting techniques teach children to become wheeler-dealers. And so the parent, not having the authority, begins to bargain with the child. And they really just teach the kid to be a game show host. Do you like what's behind door number three? Or would you like to brush your teeth and receive a dollar? Or, you know, if you clean up your room, you'll get five bucks. You know, and you start like, well, I'm going to hold out for ten bucks this time. Or what Jay has behind the box. You see what I mean? And the kid begins to think like, oh, I see how life works. I can get whatever I want. All by just saying no. I'll never forget watching one parent, and every time they asked the three or the four-year-old, they didn't say, we're going to the grocery store. They'd say, would you like to go to the grocery store? 
Would you like to go to, you know, the basement? Would you like to do anything? And of course the kid's like, no, I'm happy doing exactly what I'm doing right now. And then suddenly the family was paralyzed. Well, I guess we're not going to the grocery store. There's no dinner tonight. Be careful that your parenting style doesn't become this sort of wheeler-dealer thing because the underlying value that's being taught is greed is good and selfishness is your primary driver in life. And agree with it or not, that means the first thing that they're going to learn is, is with you or God's agents that selfishness is not okay with God. As a matter of fact, they need to understand that you, the parent, are accountable to God just like dad and mom are, are accountable to God. The child needs to learn that sequence of what's going on. Mom and dad are accountable to God. I'm accountable to mom and dad. You see, as God's agent, your child's disobedience is not against you. It is against heaven. And it is a sin against a holy and merciful God. Now, at this point, of course, you don't want to become a hellfire and brimstone preacher to your child. You're sinning against God. <laughs> you know, like, because they're not going to hear that. They're going to say, like, you're a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's all they're really going to pick up on. Your role is that of righteousness trainer. You are a righteousness trainer and encourager towards godliness. Encourager towards godliness. You are the righteousness trainer of your child. And if we begin with this premise that all of us are children of God and that all of us are by our very nature sinners before a holy God, then with all of our hearts and minds, we will begin to understand that everything is a grace in life. Okay? Everything is a grace. See, understand like the typical toy fight scenario, right? <clears throat> just to prove this point. You've seen it a dozen times. Two little kids, and I'm talking like probably preschool, two little kids start fighting over the same toy. Quickly, they're shouting and crying and tugging, tugging and gnashing of teeth and, you know, blood curdling and all this sort of thing going on. And then you, the parents, show up, and what's the first thing out of our mouth to settle this, the, the debate, the dispute, the fight? Who had the toy first? Now think for a moment, what are we communicating to the child? Well, we're actually now teaching jurisprudence, you know, that possession is nine-tenths of the law, and that if you just get a good lawyer, kid, you're going to win this one. It's a battle of individual self-rights, and the child, once again, is now the focus of the debate. What should happen, then, is that selfishness is not okay. Now, of course, you've got to think about age-appropriate stuff because if they're too little, you know, then you have to distract and remove and come over here and stop, forget about that. But once they get to this age of really accountability, they must begin to understand that selfishness is not righteous, that they are not the center of the universe. And it's your job to kindly and gently train them up in that. Sharing is a godly thing. And we have to focus on the why of the sin rather than just on the what of the sin. It's not about the toy. It's about our values. This gets complicated for small children. You know, and then back to the point, why they sin, 
I'll tell you why your children sin. It's because they're sinners. And the reason why you and I sin is because we're sinners. And this is actually quite a beautiful thing because from God's perspective, we all sin because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. And get this straight because this is a critical theological point, okay? I know it sounds weird. You're like, well, you're just telling me that I'm a sinner and that I don't just sin. It's like, no, no, no. You sin because you are a sinner in your nature. Yes, you do good things. Don't get me wrong. You see, the problem would be that if you sin only when you choose to, then that means you're choosing your salvation all the time. And then you can decide to sin or not to sin. Again, we sin because we are sinners in our nature. Because otherwise, we would not receive salvation as a grace from God. We would work out our salvation by choosing not to sin. You get it? This is critical to understanding because now your anger at your children is not because they simply just chose to sin. You say, well, they did. And like, yes, 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 it's because they're a sinner. Instead, now what you as God's agent then is you are the one who offers grace. And instead of saying like, how many times I've told you not to leave your socks in the middle of the room? Instead of that conversation, you say, I am sorry you chose to disobey. See, you aren't a part of the equation. They have chosen to disobey because they're a sinner, and therefore they receive grace. It's a heavy theological talk for talking to a four-year-old, huh? You see, parents, what you have to understand is that you're not their buddy. You're their authority. You're not their best friend. You're the one who tells them what their identity is, and their identity is a child of God, and you are their agent to get that done. You're God's agent to get that done. It's your God-given role. You may not thought you were signing up for it, but that's what you got. It is your God-given role, and you must teach your child to honor you, and they will honor God. This is parent-focused parenting rather than child-focused parenting. I'm not sure how we got into the uh, mindset that, that authority is bad in our culture. I, maybe because it was done so wrongly for so long with a bunch of jack-slapping of kids and stuff like this and that like somehow that was seen as authoritative. But somewhere along the lines, we lost the idea that being uh, the parent authority is a wrong thing. And we all just kind of went out and we were going to become the buddy dad. And it's like, that's not your role from God. That's not honoring mother and father. I remember Lori coming home one time saying that uh, she'd been with a friend and um, our daughter was just like four or five years old and, and uh, Lori had told our daughter, said, obey, you need to obey. You need to obey mom. And the, the friend said, don't tell her that. Don't use that word Obey. Like, that's what you say to a dog. Obey. Like, well, the dog doesn't understand. The kid should learn to obey. You say, no, 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 no. She needs to obey. That's what we have to teach her. That's the righteousness training. So, folks, we're never going to get into a position to correct and train our children about anger and conflicts unless we decide that the right goal of our parenting is clearly determined as our role as a parent, as one of being God's agent, that you are the one who conveys authority of God to your child. You are God's representative. 
And if you're acting as God's authority, what right do you have to get angry at your children? If their offense is, is against God, then why are you angry? You know, well, because I am. Like, well, you've, you're messing it up. <laughs> you're making yourself out to be an idol. You are standing as God before other gods, you know, before God himself. You're, you're stealing. You're making yourself into be God. You're saying, satisfy my emotions. Praise and worship me. And that's not what honoring mother and father mean. It means respect. Now, emotional, wrathful anger has no appropriate place as a parent. And you can empathize with your child for disobeying and, and for the necessary correction that has to come. But you can't personally really be angry. And I know we all are, of course. I'm not saying don't ever do it because anger is a natural human emotion. I'm saying, though, when you make the turn that begins to say, I'm sorry you disobeyed, you're moving it, you're objectifying the offense to off of you and saying, I'm unhappy right now, so I'm going to come up with some capricious little wimpy thing that says, uh, make me happy. Give me 20, you know. Discipline, then, should draw your child toward you, not make them run away from you. Does your child move toward you when you discipline, or do they run away? Do they see you as the person who's giving life and building into their identity? Or do they see you as this sort of willy-nilly, angry person that you don't know, they don't know which parent they got at any good moment? Do they have the buddy dad? Do they have the mean dad? Do they have the yeller dad? Do they have the weird dad? Do they have the sulking dad? Which one do they have? Now, I'll tell you what'll happen psychologically to a kid. They'll just shut down. They'll say, like, I'm not gonna feel nothing. And then you end up with things like adult child of alcoholics, ACA who are oftentimes very, very quiet and unemotional and have checked out emotionally because emotions are a dangerous thing. The Bible speaks about this anger thing. It says, be quick to listen in James, which by the way, there's a couple places in the Bible, even if you don't know the Bible very well, go to the New Testament, look up the book of James and then read Proverbs and great starting places, very practical stuff, very slogan, bumper sticker type things, and here's one of them. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to angry. anger. Slow to become angry. Because your unrighteous anger never achieves God's righteousness. That's one to commit to memory. That your, your anger does not achieve God's righteousness. You're trying to teach your child righteousness, right? Your anger is absolutely counterproductive to that not going to happen. Why? Because your righteousness, your, your anger, your unrighteous anger is never going to achieve God's righteousness. Your anger will never show your child God's face and hands. And if it's at its very worst, they'll begin to think of God as some sort of judgmental, mean, old, cranky guy with a long white beard who's sitting around with a bunch of lightning bolts in his hands saying, like, all right, who did something wrong? And that's what God becomes to kids not a loving parent who says, God must love me the way my mom and my dad do. When you sin yourself and become angry, you sin against God. And there's only one thing you can do when we sin against God, and that's confess. And parenting, when it's at its very healthiest, is when a mom or dad comes into a kid and says, Son, I'm sorry I got angry. 
would you forgive me? I just lost my temper. I freaked out. That would be normal parenting. That would be a good part of it. Dads, moms, the role of God's representative to your child is a call to humility. And this is a deeply spiritual moment here. You see, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was right. He said, a better monastery make a wife and children. A better monastery make a wife and children. Because he was a monk, you know, and he left the monastery when the Protestant Reformation started. He said, a better monastery make a wife and children. Now, you should be chuckling because you kind of get what he's saying. He's saying, like, if you really want to go through the rigors of spiritual formation, they get married, fall in love, and have kids. And I'll tell you, it'll be bigger than any monastery you could ever join. For those of you who don't want to fall in love, you're missing out. You're missing out because you're saying like, I don't want to have my heart broke and I don't want to go through all that. And you're absolutely right. Your assessment's right. It is heartbreaking and it is work. And you will see the man in the mirror. And that's exactly what we need. It is a spiritual exercise having children and falling in love and getting married because you will see the real you and all of its flush red anger and everything else that comes with it. It is a powerful moment. So if you think I'm saying do not discipline um, or like do not spank, and I know we're gonna get to the spanking issue on this sort of thing because that's really the hot subject on this whole type of thing. Um, then we're not done yet. Discipline is, a, is an expression of love. Punishment is something done out of anger. But discipline, I know like, well, now you're kind of mincing words and you're calling it discipline and punishment. Like, no, 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 punishment is like grounding. Punishment is about satisfying the parent's emotions. Punishment is saying like, I'm gonna ground you, I'm gonna take away your phone, you're not gonna get the car, you know, I'm gonna take away your toys, I mean, blah, 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 and all this sort of thing. It's like, so, so the parent can sit back on the sofa and say like, well, I got him good this time. There are no more Tonka toys for him. That, that'll teach him. You know, and like, that's punishment. And punishment is not a part of God's plan. Discipline, however, is. Discipline makes things right. You see, punishment has no place in God's wisdom. It, it just doesn't work. It's not really a part of the heart of God. And uh, punishment is not forming a heart. And you'll end up with fearful children instead of those who actually fear the Lord as, as respect to honor. You see, the, the punishment parenting technique is after uh, some sort of satisfaction from the parent's part. But a, um, a discipline is after restoration. It's after redemption. It's, it's after uh, reconciliation. All theological words, reconciliation, redemption, restoration. It's making things right not getting your digs in on your kid. The godly parent wants the child to understand that they've wronged God and need to be restored to God. And you'll see this in Proverbs if you read it. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And again in Proverbs, he who ignores discipline despises himself. But whoever heeds correction gains understanding. And you don't want your child to despise themselves. And they'll learn that if they get by with murder all the time and then they get punished sort of willy-nilly. 
And so when we get around to this whole idea of spanking, you're like, well, you haven't really talked about the whole spanking thing. I'll tell you that in the Ted Tripp book, he talks about the way it ought to get done. And it takes 20 or 30 minutes. It is not easy. There is a whole session of sitting and holding and praying over and saying, you know, do you understand what you did wrong? Do you understand that this is an offense and a sin against God? You know, and the whole time, it's not about like saying, you know, mommy is really, really angry with you right now and you need to do something to fix that. Like none of that conversation comes into it. It's just simply saying, I am here to love you. I'm sorry you disobeyed. There are consequences. And isn't that the way the world really works? It's a strange thing these days, you know, in an affluent society because we don't think there are consequences anymore. We think it's just get the next thing. And we have, marketing has taught us, all, all of us, that we don't have to, we can have anything we want. And the problem is, the problem is, is that we can't distinguish between wants and, and needs and whims. It's all the same to us. I can't tell you how many fifth and sixth graders have come up to me in the last couple of weeks. I got this iPhone 6, you know, because I got to have the latest, greatest thing because I'm an American. And, and how many fifth and sixth graders have come up to me and said, is that an iPhone 6? I want one of those. Like, what's wrong with your iPhone 5S? You know, like, of course, I had a 4S, so, you know, that means just not keeping up. Anyway, um, <clears throat> it's interesting that kids can pick up in our society exactly on what they think they need versus just what is a whim. And you find cultures out there who live on a lot less and they are very clear about what the whim is for the day. Today, we need clean water and food. And in a top nation like us, we're very confused about what we need. And we're conveying it to our children and our children go around and they begin to live with this high expectation and entitlement. You know, entitlement. And entitlement is made up of two things. It's made up of being spoiled and being abandoned. I got that from my counselor. Entitlement is made up of two things. It's being spoiled and being abandoned. And kids get abandoned when both parents go off to work and they leave the kid and they, somebody else takes care of the kid and all this sort of thing because, you know, they're trying to make a good life for the kids. So they both go off and make a bunch of money so they can have this life, but they're not present. And so they end up abandoned, but they give them everything. And then what you end up with is a kid that's entitled and expects everything, but they're not attached. I'm going to talk about attachment more over the next few weeks. All right, we better wrap this thing up. Um, <clears throat> have some conversations around here, everyone. <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you this. What goes on around Lakeland in small groups and inside conversations are these discussions mostly about parenting. I know you're supposed to be studying First and Second Thessalonians, and then you're contemplating and journaling and filling in blanks on, you know, how to pray without ceasing. But I'll tell you what, and then somebody say, you know what, it's just like what I was doing with my kid the other night. And everyone talks about parenting around here. I have been walking this journey now since before the church began with uh, four other guys. We've been together since before we had kids. We read this Shepherding a Child's Heart book together and fought through that. We read a bunch of these other books. And even to this day, on Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock at breakfast with teenager kids and stuff, the conversation is still like, how the parenting go this week? If you get anything else out of church, 
It is gather yourself together with some other people and talk about how it went. And I'm telling you, this is a moment where some of you guys who have grown kids and they moved off, you can be together with these other people and say, like, yeah, I remember I screwed that up too. Or like, you know, this one time I did it right. Like the one time for my son and I, and everybody was gone out of the house and he was done with tech time and he went and he got, he was looking at his small screen when he wasn't supposed to. And I was like all on it that day, you know, this is a win, right? This is where I'm doing it right because the other nine times during the week I failed. And uh, I said, well, I'm sorry you disobeyed, you know, God and the rules. You know, there's consequences. And so we held each other, and I spanked him, and then we cried, and we held, and we prayed, and oh, God, it's so exhausting. You'll not say no hardly ever if you do this strategy. You'll be like, light the house on fire. I'm not saying no. I don't care, because I don't want to go through this. But I'll tell you what, when we got all done, everything was, was resolved. It was all over with, and I said, okay. And now as part of this, we'll go out and shovel snow together. And we got done, and he was like, what's next, Dad? Everything was taken care of. No seething, weird, creepy dad going around going like, God, man, dang kid never obeys, you know. And none, no son walking around saying like, well, what am I going to do wrong next? Everything gets done. So think hard as God's agent about what you ought to be doing. Yes, you will fail. Yes, you will. But it's worth the goal. Your goal as a parent is to have your child honor you so they will honor God. Let's stand. You know, I talk to a lot of adults these days and uh, on retreats and so forth. And they talk about their parents. It's you guys in this room. And you hear a couple of broad categories. You'll hear grown men and women in their 50s and 60s saying like, my dad... My dad was a loving dad, and he took care of me. And he was stern, and he was an authority, you know. And I respect him, but he showed me what love was. And you'll hear other parents saying, like, I never got anything out of them. They were just gone all the time off doing their own thing. And you'll hear everything in between. And what I think your prayer ought to be is, like, God, may someday, may someday, even if it's standing over your grave, that your kids will say like, my mom, my dad, they did it right. They loved God and they loved me. Let us pray. Now, Father, may you send us out with loving hearts. May you send us out to the world around us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And may we begin with those little ones that are all around us. May we nurture them. May we shepherd them. May we train them up in righteousness. And may we teach them to honor you. And I pray, God, for your blessing upon these parents. Give them strength and endurance and perseverance that the task that is set before them, which is the most monumental task in the entire world. In the name of Christ, amen. Go in peace, everyone.